Okay, hello and welcome. Praise the Lord. I'm Cody Mori, and you are listening to Truth Triumphant Radio. I'm very excited to talk to you guys today because uh, recently, you know, with all the things that have been going on, just with, uh, you know, whether it's Antifa or Black Lives Matter or this uh, ever increasing uh, face mask tyranny that's going on throughout the United States, some places much worse than others. Uh, if you look at some of the fines in some areas, it's just uh, insane. You look at the science of it, too, and it, it's really not adding up. But all that aside, it, looking at all these things sort of converging and, and the, the whole coronavirus pandemic in and of itself, and really just the lack of response of people in general about their their rights being violated actually inspired me and my wife to to take a deeper look at what those rights actually are, um, what in the con what the Constitution actually has to say. I have always had a general uh, understanding of this. I wouldn't say always, but uh, pretty much ever since I became a Christian, I've had a general understanding of this because the principles of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence are Christian principles. So, you the more you read and study about the Bible, and the more you apply the principles of the Bible to your life, the more that you will be in line or in tune with the thinking of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. Now, the opposite is also true. The more, the more that you get away from God, the more that you get away from the principles of the Bible, the more that you get away from applying the principles of the Bible, the more you're going to get away from the Constitution. The more you're going to become, uh, you're ignorant of the Bible, you'll be ignorant of the Constitution. You'll, If you don't understand what God has laid down in his law and the rights that he gives you from his law, then you won't understand any rights at all. Uh, you might think you understand rights, You'll understand them in humanistic terms, such as the, that famous term that we hear, human rights, which, what are human rights? What is the ultimate authority of human rights? Are they something that just appear out of thin air, or where do they come from? Who gives them, and why should we acknowledge that they're rights? Well, human rights, they're, they're built on humanistic foundations. Therefore, human rights are based upon humans or government so who becomes your god in the end government so anyways i digress so we've been studying the declaration of independence and and the constitution of the united states and what we've been finding has been uh really just uh amazing and one of the phrases that's written in the const or sorry in the declaration of independence is a phrase called the laws of nature and of nature's God. And for those of you who don't understand, that actually lays down the foundation, the cornerstone, if you will, building block for the entire building of the United States of America. Every single one of the laws are founded upon that phrase. So I just wanted to uh, read it. I have with, I have here a, a little sort of sort of like a pocketbook here it's called the uh, it's done by the essential american papers that's who it says it's done by 
uh, Big Fish Publishing in 2010. Uh, it has the Constitution of the United States, the Bill of Rights, Declaration of Independence, and Articles of Confederation. So I wanted to read from you, or to you, from the Declaration of Independence, and then we'll check out this phrase, the laws of nature and of nature's God, because this is something that uh, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, um, Robert Sherman, or no, sorry, Robert Livingston, Roger Sherman, and I can't remember the fifth guy, but there was, there was a total of five that actually uh, helped to write the Declaration of Independence. Um, of course, Thomas Jefferson's the one most people know. But anyways, uh, this, this is from the very first paragraph. It says, this is from uh, in Congress, July 4th, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and assume among the powers of the earth the separation and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. So keep, keep that in mind. It says, basically, you know, to, to put it in modern terms, they're saying... Um, the 13 colonies have agreed to, you know, break the bands uh, between themselves and England, obviously, in context here, and then to assume uh, the role of, of essentially being entrusted with governance uh, according to the laws of nature and of nature's God. So that's the foundation principle. That's the first one mentioned there. And really another proof positive that this country that was founded was originally founded upon Christian principles because the laws of nature and of nature's God in that time frame was a very popular uh, phrase because it was used uh, by a man named William Blackstone and others. There was others that actually threw the phrase around too. I, I, I can't remember any off the top of my head right now. But the, the phrase, the laws of nature and of nature's God, this was a phrase that was used at the time, and it was used to describe essentially the laws of nature, things you can see in nature, uh, which you can't break, and then the laws of nature's God, which would be, um, the laws of nature's God would be, who's the law, who's, who's the God of nature? You know, well, of course, the creator, uh, God the Father, you know, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. So... If we look at the laws of nature's God, where do we find the laws of nature's God? Well, of course, you find them in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in the actual Decalogue, the law of God or the Ten Commandments. That's the laws of nature's God. So you have divine revelation, and you also have uh, what Ellen White calls God's other, other book, which is you can observe in nature laws and principles that can be applied to your own life um, and this was understood in a very particular way which I want to go over today but I just wanted to read this uh, the second part here we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator capital C there with certain inalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, 
deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most like, likely to affect their safety and happiness. So keep that in mind that according to the Founding Fathers, if a government stepped out of line, that the people were the true government, essentially. That's what they believe. A government of the people, by the people, for the people. They believed that essentially you and me are the kings and queens uh, of the land. And that, that power is simply loaned out to our legislators, to our judges, to our elected officials in general. And that their job... Their job more than any more than any other job that they have, more than more than their passing the laws, more than the, their first and foremost job of each each branch, whatever branch they end up falling into, was to protect the rights of the people. Now, do you see that going on today? No, we do not. We always see the rights of the people being violated for um, essentially for for safety purposes because we need to keep you safe we have to violate your your bill of right laws you have to we have to violate uh you know you, you can't go to church right now which is a total violation of the first amendment uh basically making a law against uh religion which they haven't made a law i guess so they're just enforcing it which might even be worse if uh, if you think about it but people in many states they their their church their churches are closed that's illegal. That's not what our founding fathers... There would be another revolution right now if they were here. I honestly have no doubt to that. But before we get too far down that rabbit hole, I want to talk about specifically here the laws of nature and of nature's God. Now, before we go there, I think it's important to note that the Declaration of Independence, while it is not the Constitution, it is still important as important as the Constitution because it lays the groundwork for it. And we can actually see this in history. For instance, the Enabling Acts. This is when a state or a territory decides that it wants to become an actual state with uh, all the representative legislation and all the freedoms that they get as being part of the Union. Okay, So each time uh, a state forms their enabling acts in order to become part of the United States, they have to make certain agreements. You know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. They have to conform to the Constitution of the United States, but not just the Constitution of the United States, also the Declaration of Independence. That's why it's still important today. For instance, uh, in the Acts of Congress, March 21st and April 29th, 1864, Nevada and Nebraska, in their statehood enabling acts, it was said by Congress that when formed, they shall be a Republican and not, they shall be Republican. So we're guaranteed a Republican government, not a democracy. Okay, keep that in mind. That's kind of a side thing, but it says, when formed, shall be Republican and not repugnant to the Constitution of the United States and the principles of the Declaration of Independence, end quote. So each new state would have to conform to both the principles of the Declaration of Independence 
and the actual words uh, and articles of the Constitution. They would have to conform to both. So the laws of nature and of nature's God must be in effect in accordance with all the states. Uh, that's the agreement that's made. Uh, for Washington, in their Enabling Act, Section 4, uh, it says this. I'm not going to read the whole quote here, but it says, uh, It shall not be repugnant to the Constitution of the United States and the principles of the Declaration of Independence. Almost the same exact phrasing there. And that's uh, Section 4 of their Enabling Acts. And that was to provide for the division of Dakota into two states and to enable the people of North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, and Washington to form constitutions and state governments and to be admitted into the Union with an equal footing with the original states and to make donations of public lands to such states, which was approved February 22, 1889. So about 100, 140 years ago, 130 years ago. Now, I think it's interesting to note here also that in the great controversy written by Ellen White, page 442, we're not going to go there, uh, but that's the that's the reference. It says that the Declaration of and and I'm paraphrasing an entire paragraph here, so you'd have to have to read the whole paragraph in order to understand. But basically, what's pointed out is that the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States are lamb-like writings, and you you find that in Revelation. Revelation, it talks about the lamb-like beast first um, comes onto the scene. Uh, it has the horns of a lamb, but then it speaks as a dragon. And, and that's something that we've sort of been discussing here for a few weeks now, and especially in light of all the things that are going on, is, is the dragon language that is going to be coming, that already has started, um, but with the Sunday Law specifically. That will be the ultimate fulfillment of that. And an ultimate violation of the laws of nature and of nature's God. Which, now, let's get to the whole crux of the matter here. Uh, the phrase was really popularized by William Blackstone in his, uh, I believe it's four volumes, Commentaries on the Laws of England, written from 1765 to 1769. Now think about that. That's about, what, seven Years before the Constitution, or sorry, before the Declaration of Independence was drafted. So, this was uh, very popular stuff at the time. It was uh, prime time <laughs> stuff. This was a New York Times bestseller, if you will. <laughs> so, Commentaries on the Laws of England, done by Sir William Blackstone. You can find this in the introduction. I went to a website called lawning.com. And this is from the introduction, section two, entitled, Of the Laws of Nature in General. Now, this is quite a lengthy quote, but it really gives us an understanding as to what, what, was, what that phrase means in the minds of the Founding Fathers and in those who were reading this at the same time. Listen. This law of nature being co-evil with mankind and dictated by God himself, uh, that means existing at the same time, co-evil, is of course superior in obligation to any other. It is binding over all the globe in all countries and at all times. No human laws are of any validity if contrary to this, and such of them 
are as, val are, as are valid derive all their force and their authority immediately or immediately from this original. So let me, let me just summarize that little section there before we move on. Essentially what he's saying is there's things you can see in nature and you can, you can pull out what we would call laws of nature. Like, you know, you have the law of gravity. You have the laws of physics. You have essentially things you can, you can observe and view in nature that can be translated as personal rights to yourself. Okay. So like, for instance, just to give you an example, uh, a bear or some type of animal uh, scouts out and takes over some territory. This new area becomes his. Now, another animal, another bear, let's say, tries to come into that area. Uh, well, they're in his, his zone, what he feels is his territory, what he claims is his territory. So what does he do? He goes over and picks a fight with the other bear. And then the other bear gets scared off and and he's gone. So what do we derive from that? Well, we can derive property rights from that. Obviously, you can see over and over and over again, any animal will protect to its death um, an area or a, a, a place, an environment, a den, whatever it is, that it considers to be its home. They'll, they'll defend it. They'll fight. So you have, one, the right to property right there. And number two, you have the right to self-defense also because the animals practice this. You see major predators come into uh, dens and things like that that don't belong to them, and the smallest little animals will, will try to fight them to the death even if they die especially if their family is in there. You'll see mothers of different kinds of animals, weasels or whatever it is, they'll fight to the death to save those children. They will fight to the death. So you have some laws you can extract from that. That's the laws of nature. That's the laws of nature. That's, a, that's one example there. Another example is what you don't see. You don't see in the laws of nature slavery. You don't see animals enslaving other animals to do things for themselves. You don't see that. So that wouldn't be a right that you would have to own another person because it's not something that you see in nature. It's a violation of it. Another thing would be homosexuality. Homosexuality, though they have said you, you, you can find this in nature, it is not typical in nature. It's not typical. Also, having sex with young with young ones doesn't happen because it's not contingent with actually um breeding in and and continuing the species the 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 species of animals so you don't see that happening so that wouldn't be something that you could consider a right or a sexual orientation because you don't see it in nature or it's not natural and that's one of the, the actually one of the arguments that used to be used, quite frankly, um, a lot against homosexuality. But the thing is, it doesn't just stop there. It continues. So I'm going to continue with the quote now. It says, but in order to apply this to the particular exigencies of each individual, it is still necessary to have recourse to reason. 
whose office is to discover, as was before observed, the law of nature directs in every circumstance of life by considering method will tend the most effectually to our own substantial happiness. And if our reason were always, as in our first ancestor before his transgression, who is he talking about there? Adam. So, and if our reason were always, as in our first ancestor before his transgression, clear and perfect, unruffled by passions, unclouded by prejudice, unimpaired by disease or intemperance, the task would be pleasant and easy. We should need no other guide but this. But every man now finds the contrary in his own experience. That his reason is corrupt and his understanding full of ignorance and error. So this is an amazing viewpoint. I can't believe that this was, I mean, this is stuff that just, we're not taught this. I, I literally just learned this not that long ago. I, I'm familiar with the phrase, but actually learning the the full understanding of, of how it was understood by Blackstone, how it was understood by the Founding Fathers. I find this just amazing. What he's saying here is, yes, we see we see the laws of nature. And if we were unfallen, if we were like Adam before his fall, we would be able to extract every principle possible um, from the laws of nature alone, and we wouldn't need any help from anything else. However, because our reason has become corrupted because we're fallen beings, we can't use only the laws of nature. We need something else in addition to the laws of nature to help guide us. I think that's an amazing observance there. So what you see in nature is not the end-all be-all because let's, let's, let's talk about the laws of nature again for a second. In the laws of nature is killing uh, okay. Absolutely. There are animals that kill just for fun. I mean, just to, to bring the point home, you see a, a, like a cat or something, they will torture and kill mice, sometimes bugs and stuff, and not eat them just simply for the for the pleasure of it, just to play and toy with it. So you see murder going on in the, in nature. What else do you see? Do you see monogamous marriages in nature? Well, you do, but they're really rare. Most of the time, like in a herd or something, or in or basically in in any most in most group animals. Uh, that that move in a, in some kind of group, whether they're in the ocean or or on land, the males fight it out. They usually fight it fight it out with each other, and then one gets breeding rights. You know, this happens with seals, uh, the elephant seal. This also happens with um, you know bison and different kinds of herd. You know, the the males will fight, and then the 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 alpha male, if you will, the winner of all these fights many times badly damaged, they become uh, the having the right to breed. So polygamy is something that we see in nature. Now, is polygamy something that is good? And is, is murder something that is good that we should be uh, applying and using, and using today? Well, no. I mean, most people, most people without even cracking open their Bible would consider that because it's just you've seen it in, in in civil society it just it just won't work that way that's why we need more help because our reason is corrupt so if we just pull out the 
the whole natural system of nature since the fall nature has ha has partially corrupted itself and also our reasoning to interpret it has been corrupted therefore we need something else so i'm going to continue with the quote again same section here this has given manifold occasion for the benign interpositions of divine providence which in compassion to the frailty the imperfection and the blindness of human reason has been pleased at sun-dried times and in diverse manners to discover and enforce its laws by an immediate and direct revelation the doctrines thus delivered we call the revealed or divine law and they are to be found only in the holy scriptures wow only in the holy scriptures so anything that we don't see in nature essentially you got to take them both together you see the laws of nature and you see the laws of nature because god so you see that you take what you learn from the laws of nature and you compare it with the final authority which is god's law the bible and you you bring them together and anything that nature or that you are pulling out from principles that you're pulling out from nature that are incorrect will be corrected by the bible for instance for those folks that say you know there's a few uh animals that that practice homosexuality well if you go to leviticus chapter 18 homosexuality is is said to be an abomination it also says that a, a male to dress as a female is an abomination so those things would be off the table at that point because not only would you see the laws of nature but you'd also see the laws of nature's god and the laws of nature's god would guide you on to that perfect path all right and that's amazing to me going on it says these precepts when revealed are found upon comparison to be really a part of the original law of nature as they tend in all their consequences to man's felicity but we are not from thence to conclude that the knowledge of these truths was attainable by reason in its present corrupted state since we find that until they were revealed they were hid from the wisdom of ages as then the moral precepts of this law are indeed the same original with those of the law of nature so their intrinsic obligation is of equal strength and perpetuity upon these two foundations the law of nature and the law of revelation depend all human laws that is to say no human laws should be suffered to contradict these so can we have gay marriage absolutely not not according to not according to our declaration of independence because that supposed right doesn't exist because it's not founded in the laws of nature and of nature's god it's really that simple I just find that I find that so amazing now we're, we're running out of time here so I just wanted to uh, basically close out with um, well there's a quote here from uh, from Ellen White where it talks about how the creation became corrupted the propositions that Williams Blackstone is making Ellen White also points them out in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 61 to 62. After their sin, Adam and Eve were no longer to dwell in Eden. They earnestly entreated that they might remain in the home of their innocence and joy. They confessed that they had forfeited all right to that happy abode. 
but pledged themselves for the future to yield strict obedience to God, for they were told that their nature had become depraved by sin. They had lessened their strength to resist evil and had opened the way for Satan to gain more ready access to them. In their innocence, they had yielded to temptation, and now, in a state of conscious guilt, they would have less power to maintain their integrity. In humanity, in humility and unutterable sadness, they bade farewell to their beautiful home and went forth to dwell upon the earth, where rested the curse of sin. The atmosphere, once so mild and uniform in temperature, was now subject to marked changes. The Lord mercifully provided them with a garment of skins as a protection from the extremes of heat and cold, something they hadn't experienced before, heat and cold. As they witnessed in, drop, in dropping flower and falling leaf the first signs of decay, Adam and his companion mourned more deeply than men now mourn over their dead. The death of the frail, delicate flowers was indeed a cause of sorrow. But when the goodly trees cast off their leaves, the scene brought vividly to the mind of the stern, the stern fact that death is the portion of every living thing. So the, the nat nature's message became somewhat corrupted because of sin. Just as the Apostle Paul says, you know, the, all of nature groans and travails waiting upon Christ's return. So, as we see things in nature, it's an imperfect view. It's an imperfect view, one, because we are imperfect people. We can't, we, we, we can't pull out the correct principles that we see in nature um, that God wants us to see. We, we tend to pull out the evil principles, which is the decay of sin. So for two reasons. One, we are imperfect. Two, nature has become imperfect because of sin. So the laws of nature, while it is it is a staple for us to understand, it's, it's imperative. Actually, Jesus in almost all of his parables was pointing to things you see in nature. I mean, you look at the caterpillar, for instance. It, it goes through life, you know, as a caterpillar, uh, eating the leaves, eating the good food, you know, just like we as human beings ought, ought to, to eat the bread of life. And then eventually it, it goes into its cocoon. It, it sort of dies, if you will. And then it's reborn, or or as we, we could see, a principle being outlined there, a resurrection of sorts. And when it's resurrected, then the butterfly is immensely superior to the caterpillar in every way. It can fly. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. You know, there's not many bugs my wife will allow to land on her. Um, actually, I don't even think she'll let a butterfly, but she, she likes to see them at least. Most other bugs she'll flip out. But that's, that, that's a beautiful message. We see that in nature. But again, nature is imperfect because of sin. Because of sin. And then we are imperfect because of sin. So we need the laws of nature, but also we need the laws of nature's God which is the Holy Scriptures, to quote Blackstone, the Holy Scriptures, found in the Holy Scriptures, divine law. So when we put those two things together, we have the perfect view. And I, I pray that we would, as a people, begin to view things that way again, because it is such a, it's only, it's like a two-part test to view every issue 
and and to really find whether it's legitimate or not whether whether this is something good or evil it's it's a really a beautiful way of viewing things does it violate nature does it violate god's law if no then it's fine if yes then we reject it simply put i'm going to close with this uh, the, and uh, one more quote here from uh actually a paper i found online by john c eastman chapman university school of law 2002 a paper that he wrote called the declaration of independence as viewed from the states uh, page 35 and 36 and i got this from papers.ssrn.com says this in his uh, conclusion and finally it might legitimately be said that all 50 states are bound by the principles of the declaration as encompassed by the republican guarantee clause of the constitution Every state admitted since the Civil War under the Enabling Act binding it to the principles of the Declaration of Independence was also admitted on an equal footing with the original states. In a fitting bit of irony, that can only be true if the original states are likewise bound by the principles of the Declaration of Independence. The Madisonian presumption, which prevented such a conclusion in 1787, was decisively rebutted in the aftermath of Apotomac's and the Constitution finally became, to paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, the shining picture of silver that it was intended to be, adorning and preserving the apple of gold, those fitly spoken principles of the Declaration of Independence. Now, that, I think that's just a beautiful uh, analogy there coming from Abraham Lincoln. The Constitution is that silver frame that surrounds the gold, which is the principles of the Declaration of Independence. So that's the laws of nature and of nature's God. Hope to catch you guys next week. I'm Cody Moore, and you've been listening to Truth Triumphant Radio. God bless.